Um, this morning, we're, we're talking about Advent. Advent means coming. Um, and uh, just as, we, as they look forward to the first Advent of Jesus coming, um, the Old Testament prophets and people of God, and he came as a baby, uh, so we look forward to the second coming, the second Advent in his second coming one day. But also, we pray that he comes to us this Christmas in a profound way, in a fresh way, in a new way, uh, that we may experience his presence. And if there's ever time we need his presence, it's now. You know, we live in a world that's really divided, and we want peace on this earth, but we don't seem to find peace on this earth at all. It isn't a reality. Um, I read a statistic this past week regarding the birth of children. In America, in 2007, the birth rates have declined from 41 people out of 1,000 to now in 2018, it was only 17 people of 1,000. So the, the birth rate is much lower than even in you know, 11 years. And why is that? Could it be perhaps that young couples are thinking, man, this is no world to be having a kid in, to raise a child in, it's just too messed up. And so at least they're postponing it for some years, having children. But if you think we live in really dark and scary times today, it's nothing compared to the days when Jesus was born and raised and did his ministry, as well as John the Baptist, his cousin. Um, Denison Report uh, cited that in the first century Roman Empire, up to half of the children before they reached the age of 10 died during those times. Most lived in subsistent level living. Therefore, most were uh, dealing with hunger and starvation. Um, taxes were at an enormous rate under the Roman Empire. Sexual immorality was horrific and rampant. Uh, spiritual confusion uh, was also uh, reigned during that day because of the, all the false religions in the Roman Empire. And then corrupt Roman officials controlled the Jewish population if you think our government is controlling of us, nothing compared to the Jews during this time. And so they wanted a Messiah to help save them from this tyranny, if you will. Many don't trust our national leaders today, but consider the leaders um, who threw their weight around during the time of Jesus and John the Baptist. We read in Luke chapter 3. We read... Um, of these leaders, Luke 3, 1, beginning. <laughs> In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iteria and Traconitus, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. Right there we read of seven leaders that were in power during that time. We had Emperor Tiberius Caesar. He was in his 50th year of reign at this time. And he was known for his cruelty and severity against those who opposed him. And then we have Governor Pontius Pilate, known for his brutal massacres of Jewish people in Judea. And then we have Herod the Great's relatives, sons, Herod, Philip, and Licinius, who are all tetrarchs. 
kind of governors of various areas. The kingdom was split up under their reign after Herod the Great. All three of them were very corrupt leaders as well. And then we have the Jewish high priest leaders. Surely we could find some morality here, but no. Annas and Caiaphas, they were pursuing political power rather than God's power. And they were also known for their huge corruption. Yet of these seven world powers and leaders, the word of God came to a poor, eccentric man, a prophet. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, who lived out in the wilderness. Which is interesting because the people of God were living in a spiritual wilderness. They were hopeless. They were confused. Spiritually, they were barren. The future of Israel looked very dark and dismal and hopeless. The Jews knew about the miraculous deliverances that they read about in their scriptures. They had known about the prophecies of promise that would come with the Messiah being born to them. But very few witnessed any supernatural power in their lives. Where were the Davids slaying Goliaths in their day? Where were, where were the Red Seas being parted and God delivering the people? Where were the Jericho walls falling down in their midst? Where were the pillars of cloud or pillars of fire of God's presence leading them? It'd be comparable to us living all our lives and praying and never receiving an answer to prayer or at least seeing God's supernatural intervention into our situation. Yet we still believe in God, but instead we have to rely on the stories of our great-grandparents. We hear stories of the miracles that God worked through them, and we believe in them, but we don't experience them. Furthermore, the last word that these folks would have heard directly from God would have been through the prophet Malachi, some 400 years prior to their existence. And Malachi said, In chapter 3, see, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me and before the Lord. And this would have been John the Baptist, the messenger coming. Yet God chose this time to send the Son of God into the world, that the world may experience great hope and joy in the midst of hopelessness. And we need that same hope and joy in our lives as well, because as we look around our world and culture, and we get so oppressed with all the dysfunction and immorality, we need hope and joy. We long for God to break through into our world and make himself known to us through his truth, through a morality, through justice, and through revival. Revive our hearts, God, that we may see you and that the world may see you through us. And fortunately, God wants to reveal himself more than we want him to reveal himself to us. He's ready and willing to make himself known. And he invites us to prepare ourselves or posture ourselves in order to encounter his presence in a new and fresh way. So verse four, the prophet John the Baptist, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Now, we spend a lot of time preparing for Christmas. You know, we buy presents, we go shopping, we clean our homes, we make travel plans, um, we make Christmas cookies. We have all this preparation. We decorate our homes inside and out. And preparation is good. 
Well, what was John the Baptist's message to the people of, of God or just the people in general? How can you be prepared to encounter the Lord? How do his words apply to us today as well? In Luke 3, he went into all the country around Jordan preaching baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There it is. How do we prepare ourselves? We have to have hearts of repentance. Repentance simply means to change one's mind and to change one's direction. And all the people will see God's salvation. That's God's will, that we all see his salvation, that we experience his presence. What people? John the Baptist addresses the crowds and the Jewish leaders and the tax collectors and the soldiers and even the Roman leaders like Herod. My question is, do you desire to encounter the Lord this Christmas in a new and fresh way? It begins with repentance. It really begins with us. And what does repentance look like? Two-point outline. It looks like removing the obstacles that hinder our relationship with God and then replacing those obstacles with opportunities to encounter God in a new way. Simple. And this is what John the Baptist preached. Repentance. Verse 4, he says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation when we do this. So we just have to go out and smooth the roads of McPherson and then God will come to us, right? John had this image of a king or a queen entering into a town And in order for one to get this once-in-a-lifetime visit into our village from the king, then we need to make sure the roadways are smooth, that there aren't any boulders or any trees down that are blocking the way to this one road in to town, or or that there aren't any potholes or whatever, or it's not washed out. And so they would send out their workers in order to make sure the roads were smooth so that the king or queen could visit them. And what a privilege it would be. The message of repentance is to remove those things that hinder the king of kings from coming to us. Those potholes and those, those boulders of sin or whatever. We have to remove these things intentionally, purposefully. And when we do that, that begins the process of repentance. But this message of repentance seems such a negative message to preach. Sounds like a downer, like someone in front of Walmart saying, turn or burn, get your lives together, man. Turn, repent. And we think, man, we don't want to hear messages like that. But repentance is actually a very positive message. We read in verse 18, and with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This message of repentance is good news. Repentance is the first step toward our freedom from being stuck in the wilderness of our sin, of our regrets, of our failures, of our insecurities. 
of our heartaches. God wants to set us free and repentance sets into motion our freedom. That's good news. For example, if we discern that the activity of one of our children, nieces, nephews, or grandchildren, if they were doing something that was harmful, we would essentially tell them to repent, turn away from that activity, don't touch the stove. No, 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 go, let's go over here and play with the toys. Or, or in this picture, what's that dude, what's that adult man doing sitting on the stoop in the background? What's he doing? He should be saying, kids, repent, don't be doing this. This is not safe. But he's just sitting there, la di da di da Maybe he would, he would, if he really cared, he would suggest a better op- opportunity, you think? So we need to remove the obstacles that hinder our relationship with God. It leads to our death and destruction. They lead to our unhealth, spiritually speaking. And then secondly, we need to replace those obstacles with opportunities uh, to welcome the Lord's presence. Opportunities would be steps that we would take or actions or choices that we would make, or responsibilities, or even attitudes that change, where we turn from this direction to this direction. John the Baptist put it this way, you need to produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. There has to be some action. Martin Luther said, yes, we are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. It always is accompanied with fruit, with a change in behavior and attitude. There's a devotional called Walking with Christ and the Details of Life by Patrick Morley. In one of the chapters, talked about revival, the gospel of addition, which reads, the American gospel has evolved into a gospel of addition without subtraction. It is the belief that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. It is a change in belief without a change in behavior. A changed life is one that has added Christ and has subtracted sin, that attracts a world weary of worn-out words. Obedience is the proof of repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with your repentance, John the Baptist said. The properties team, a few weeks ago, smoothed out our our, uh, parking lot over on the west end, It was filled with divots and potholes and big boulders, and it was just really honestly dangerous to walk through the parking lot on that end in the middle of the night, in the dark, because you could trip and fall and boom, it was dangerous. And so they removed all the boulders and they filled in all the potholes with concrete, and now we have a brand new parking lot in in different sections over there. So thank you for the properties team. Well, we're commanded to remove all the potholes and broken thoughts and actions and replace them with new thoughts and new actions that will will be honoring to God. Greg Laurie recalls a hospital chaplain who served in this hospital for a long time and he he, um, logged over 2,000 people who were on their deathbeds and he said a majority of them, 2,000 people, were highly repentant when I walked in the room as a chaplain. And they had regrets and they wanted to change their ways and and they wanted to get right with God. But of these 2,000 patients, many of them recovered. And of the 2,000, he reported only two really changed their behavior once they were well again. 
Only two changed their lifestyle. Where the majority, when they recovered, they forgot about God. They did not remove their old life nor replace it with a new life. That's called false gospel. It's called cheap grace, according to Diedrich Bonhoeffer. It's not biblical grace. John came in fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. In verse 5 of Malachi, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day that the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and hearts of children to their parents. We never call people to repentance because we delight in watching them. We delight in pointing out other people's faults, you know? Like, I'm going to go and tell them to repent because I want to point out all their faults. We do so because we care for them and we want them to experience all that God has for them by way of life and freedom, healing and restoration. After years of living in regret as a very famous musician, Johnny Cash, and after years of being addicted to pills and finally got caught coming over the border from Mexico with drugs. He was, he was put in prison and, you know, this sordid tale of him falling in love with June Carter. And <clears throat> after years, finally, because of the influence of the Carter family, Johnny Cash surrendered his life to Christ and he repented of his addiction to pills and his old lifestyle and he turned to Christ. And as a result, he added Christ to his life and began to walk in obedience to Christ. And, and for the rest of his days, mostly, he had a new purpose and a new life that glorified God. How many of you can recall your former way of life before you came to Christ or before you committed your life to Christ? How many remember the direction you were headed in And then God got your attention and you turned and you began to live for him and the drastic change in your life. That's repentance. Well, John's call to repentance isn't just a once in a lifetime where, you know, I receive Christ and I repent and I live a new life. Repentance is really a daily lifestyle and a choice. And John's call to repentance was extended to all people. He said in verse 9 of Luke 3, the, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now this really got the attention of the crowds, and so the crowds responded, what should we do then? And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Is your life demonstrated by action like this? When you detect that there's need out there, that you're the first one to step up and say, you know, I I can meet that need. I can be involved. I can give money for the food baskets here. I could put a box together for Operation Shoebox during Christmas. I'm going to respond. He called people to bear fruit in keeping their repentance. Verse 12, And the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? He said, Don't collect any more than you're required to. Nicky Gumbel tells a story about this guy who, who came to Christ and he had cheated on his taxes in the past. And so he said, I felt so guilty for cheating on my taxes that I had to send you this check. He wrote a letter to the government. 
And if, you don't feel, and I, if I don't feel any better because of this, then I'll send you the rest, he said. <clears throat> Verse 14. <clears throat> then the soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, and be content with your pay. Repentance looked very specific for every person. Even Herod, Herod, John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch, one of the Tetrarchs, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things that he had done. And Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. So this message of repentance that John preached came at a cost. My question is, what obstacles are in your life that hinders your relationship with the Lord from you being able to see him or experience his presence, his joy, his peace? Perhaps this Christmas, you've been overcome with busyness like we all have, or just all the noises of Christmas, or the idolatry of putting things before God, or or the self-centeredness Or perhaps you're overcome with fear, all this pandemic stuff, and it just overtakes your thinking. Or perhaps there's unforgiveness in your heart, and that prevents you from seeing God clearly. Or perhaps your love of money or possessions, or you have a spirit of divisiveness um, rather than unity. Or maybe it's an addiction or a bad habit you need to repent of. So it's not enough just to highlight what's wrong and what we need to change. We actually have to go this direction say, and admit this is the wrong thing. And then we have to turn around to the right thing and we need to replace it with new opportunities to encounter God. And so this, these dashes on the, these lines on the, the right-hand side there represent what you'd replace your obstacle with, your hindrance. And so if you look up there and just point, point out the thing that you need to work on, or perhaps it's another thing, the thing you need to surrender to the Lord, repent of, and then what can I replace it with then? If I'm too busy, what do I need to replace that action with? Because repentance would only be half done if you don't do the second half. And Nate, I'm going to return to that slide at the end, and we're going to pray Pray that prayer, okay? <clears throat> you might be thinking, I can't really think of anything much to repent about. The Prussian king, Frederick the Great, was once touring a Berlin prison. And when he entered into the, the, the prison itself, the prisoners began to fall on their knees and each one pleading and crying out for their innocence. Except for one man who remained in the background. King Frederick went up to him and asked him, so why are you here? And the guy said, armed robbery. The king asked, so you're guilty? Yes, indeed, your majesty, I deserve my full punishment. Frederick then summoned the jailer in order the jailer release release this man, this guilty wretch at once. I will not have him kept in this prison where he will corrupt all of these fine, innocent people who occupy it. We need to admit where we have hindrances and obstacles in our life. Oftentimes we as church people don't though because we compare ourselves to others and we, we are self-righteous. We end up talking about people who are really bad 
rather than focus on, look in the mirror and see our heart. The self-righteous Jews or the insiders in Jesus' day felt that repentance was beneath them. They didn't need to repent. They were God's chosen people. They were the faithful ones, the religious ones, the ones who attended Bible studies, the ones who attended church and tabernacle, the ones who were moral and committed to God. It was the other people who needed to repent, sort of like the, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee was there praising God. Oh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that sinner over there, that guilty wretch in the groveling in the dirt. Oh, thank you, Lord, that I stand right in your presence and I'm not like him. And this guy was beating his breast and confessing his sin. And Jesus said, who went home justified that day before God? And Jesus pointed out it was this man who was repentant, not the self-righteous one. What was John's message of repentance to these religious leaders? In verse 7, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I, uh, for I tell you that not one of these stones God can raise, from out of one of these stones God can raise up children of Abraham. All the self-righteous boasting. Repentance, again, is not just an occasional act. I mean, it's not just a one-time act. It is an attitude of humility that's ongoing. It's a recognition of our need for Christ on a daily basis. Because we fall short in more ways than we're even aware Glenn McDonald wrote one lovely day, this uh, lady came up to her pastor, Alexander White, and asked, Dr. White, I just love being in your presence. You are so saintly. And White looked at her with great seriousness and responded, Ma'am, if you could only see into my soul, what you would see would make you spit in my face. McDonald goes on to say, Jesus didn't say, come to me, all you who are crushing it and living your best life ever, and I will give you rest. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and broken, and I will give you rest. If you're discouraged and tired and weary, don't worry. That's exactly how Jesus expected you to come to him. Well, perhaps you're immersed in this busyness of Christmas season, of preparation. And preparing is a good thing. My wife's a planner and she's very prepared all the time. But how much more important is it to prepare to encounter the reason for the season, the risen Lord and Savior? And we do so by repentance, by removing those obstacles in our life that hinder our relationship with him. And then by replacing those obstacles with opportunities, really a heart of posture to welcome him anew today. And God will show up, that's his promise. When we call upon him, he will show up. In fact, he's already here. That's what Christmas is, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is here and he's closer to us than our own breath. But we need to position our hearts to allow him to reveal himself to us anew by doing those two things. Remove the obstacles, replace with those opportunities. 
So I want to close with this last slide here. And again, the bullet points could go on and on forever, but what is it that is standing in our way? And what intentionally can we do to produce fruit in keeping with our repentance? What can we add to it? With the power of the Holy Spirit within us, what can we replace it with? by way of opportunity. Let's close in prayer by focusing on one of these or another that Holy Spirit brings to mind. Let's pray. And so Lord, we do really want to see you and experience your presence. We, we need your hope, your joy, your peace, your power. We need you to bear your fruit through us, Lord. And we need your vision, your enthusiasm. Uh, We confess, Lord, that our apathy, our distraction, our idolatry, whatever it is, Lord, we, we confess this. And Lord, we will take a step of obedience even today to begin to walk in a new direction with a new attitude and a new dependence on you. And in so doing, Lord, we ask, Lord, that your spirit just overwhelm us with your presence, especially this Christmas season. Revive our hearts, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.